0: Welcome back, everyone, to Cards on the Table, a podcast where we talk all things pop culture. I'm your host, Tom Roy, and with me is my co-host, Sean Galvin. Sean, how are you doing today, buddy? I'm doing well, Tommy.
1: We're back! We are back, back, baby! It's been like a year and a half, man.
0: (laughs) I know. It has been some time, and we've spent a lot of time indoors, uh, and, uh, you know, I don't see people a lot. So, when I get the chance to see you face-to-face, I have a lot on my mind that I want to talk about. So... We're going to talk about 90s comic books.
1: That's a uh, very broad topic, and I blame myself for that.
0: <laughs> this is the golden era of our youth. There's a lot to talk about. Maybe too much. Maybe it'll be a two-parter.
1: I noticed that I'm only seeing you. Where are your brothers at?
0: Couldn't make it today, Sean. Uh, Sam, he's a dad. He's got responsibilities. Calvin, he's uh, taken up artisanal rug making. It's very time consuming. And, yeah, that's uh, not a joke either.
1: He actually makes like amazing rugs right now.
0: But I'm sure they'll be on future episodes.
1: The How this all came together is we were chatting on the phone the other day, we started talking about comic books again, and it was kind of like it started happening, and we just felt the spark. We were felt the spark, and we were like, we need to give this back to the people. Like, like bottle this up, put a cap on it, let's put it up for sale, or give it up for free.
0: We're we're kids born in the 80s, so I don't think I started collecting comic books until, I don't know, 87, 88? Sean, how about you? Uh, you think it started?
1: I got my first, like, ALF comic in, like, 87, 88. My aunt bought me, like, one of those... It was, like, 25 Marvel comics. It had, like... Of course, all I remember is the bad ones like ALF and the Nam and things like that. But nonetheless, it's probably like 87, 88, somewhere around there. But no. (laughs) I really wanted to talk to you about comics in particular, though, because the fact is our friendship literally started because of comics. In 10th grade, we had a science class together and Tom was... I was on the other side of the room and I heard him casually mention X-Factor to someone and I was like, "Ah, oh, X-Factor." And I kind of waited till the next day and I was like, "Hey, do you like comic books? I remember you cut you just being like, "Tell you anything you want to know." And I was like, "All right, guy.
0: Anything I want to know." And how naive I was to the wide world of comic books that I had only begun to explore.
1: But then we we started hanging out like almost immediately afterwards because of comics. It was like, "You want to get together this weekend and trade comics?"
0: Absolutely. And I think you know, as we'll talk about, and when we get into our thoughts on the era as adult men now, um, you introduced me to a whole side of the fence that I didn't know about. As a uh, As a publisher person, I was purely, I was mostly Marvel. I don't think I was picking up any DC books. And you were like mostly DC, I think. Well, or, DC know, is,
1: well, I mean, you know, the Spidey stuff, but DC, I feel like in the 90s in particular, they they kind of got pushed by the wayside. They really did start becoming like I don't want to say a second-class citizen, but they were really trying every gimmick in the book that they could possibly do. But there was just really consistent storylines all the way through, and I think we're going to talk about a few of them here.
0: You know, before we get into the topics, I just got to tell you, as I was poring over books today and I was looking at DC covers, the 90s, they were, they were phoning it in compared to Marvel. <laughs> Marvel, was, Marvel was killing it with the artists, uh, the just dynamic covers. So many of the DC covers were just really forgettable. As I was pouring through my comics upstairs, I was like, Finding these books, and I'm like, what brought me out of the freaking what made me decide to get this book but none else? And then I'm like, oh yeah, it was the cover. It was this particular totally story. Covered. And I, you know, I'll say this and we'll get in, you know, maybe get in this a little bit. But I feel like DC had a better story. That their 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 writing I felt was better in some ways than Marvel, but artistry, man.
1: Death and redesigns. Like those are two big words of the 90s for me. Oh, Hell hella deaths. Um, I think what's also interesting about 90s comics is there's kind of like three definitive eras of it, which is kind of like the first couple years is 90, 91. It's kind of like the 80s wrap-up. We'll probably get some things mixed up with the 80s because that's kind of where the transition started happening, where the artists started taking over, and we had really the image era. Image era, I would put from like 92 to 96. They still put out a lot of books, but they really owned everything at that point. Things happened, Death of Superman, all that stuff, but that really is like the image era. When we joke about 90s comics, I mean like when people talk about 90s comics, what's the first thing they always say? Uh, image comics. Casual always goes, oh, I have a bunch of
0: image comics in my garage. Are they worth anything? <laughs> and it's like. Uh, Probably, maybe. I don't know. It depends on yeah. if you have spawn limited edition signed by the artist. I don't yeah, Sure.
1: But then if you have Brigade or Shaman's Tears or Trench or let's keep going.
0: <laughs> I don't know. Youngblood, Profit.
1: And then I have what I call the big two return, which is basically they had now learned from Image what they could do to make some money where it was the heroes were born. They brought back the Image guys. DC and Marvel actually started like rejoining and doing the JLA Avengers. They did the Amalgam books together literally because it was like, we'll do whatever it takes to sell books and try to beat the Image people. And then you had the really good books started coming out, some that we'll discuss later in the show.
0: Literally, I'd never heard the word amalgam until that comic book series came out. And I was like, what the hell does that mean? And then I had to Google. I don't even think Google existed back then. So I had to like look it up online. I was like, or not online. Again, this is the 90s. I had to read a freaking dictionary. <laughs> like, what does this word mean?
1: We had to read a uh, wizard magazine. We had to read wizard magazine basically to just read about any of this stuff.
0: What made us as children or teenagers decide to pick a comic book? And I think a good place to start in the '90s is what are the top characters from the '90s that drew you to pick up a comic book?
1: We're talking favorite characters, right? Like, because if you get into the whole argument about like, oh, Sandman, all that stuff, dude, I didn't read any of that stuff no, back no, no, then, yeah. so like, I missed it. We're talking favorite, right?
0: This is personal preference, yeah. And, okay. and by this, what I was what I was alluding to talking about redesigns is that they can take a character, like if we took a 1960s character that was rebranded in the '90s. Then they count as a 90s character. Yeah, you
1: know, the redesign tip. I mean, I'll just start with my favorite, who's my favorite character of all time, which is Green Lantern.
0: Oh, yeah. Um, I've,
1: I mean, I've all, here's the thing about Green Lantern that's so dope about the redesign is the reason, like, the main reason I love Green Lantern is because when I was a kid, I had one of those little DC superhero toys that was the Green Lantern. And it was that green and black costume. It was just so dynamic. You, you know, the little Halloween mask or whatever it is. Eh. That aside, the colors just go together well in the whole way it's designed. So when you're talking about redesigning it, it's beautiful. When you're talking about redesigning it, the problem is that you're taking something that's like perfect. And so you're talking about the 90s and you just kind of most 90s redesigns were some really big thing. What was dope about the Green Lantern redesign was the subtlety in it was really they made the mask better. And the mask made it to where the costume didn't need as much green in it. Like in the redesign of the Green Lantern, there is not a lot of green in that. There's a little okay. symbol on his chest. There's a little mask. There's the ring. But like aside from that, it's like a white chest, you know? Super dope. Well, well right. done.
0: So let's, so let's clarify and define for the audience. Who do you mean by which 90s Green Lantern is your favorite? Because obviously there are oh. lots of different people who wear the Green Lantern ring. So which version of the Green Lantern is your favorite Green Lantern from the 90s?
1: Uh, no, I'm saying I'm talking about all the Green Lanterns because... Okay. What I love is the multi- multiple redesigns. I love that Hal started the era. Hal started the era with that dumb whiteness hair, which became the thing in the late 80s. Dumb white in his hair. His character was stale, so they get rid of him. They're basically bringing Guy Gardner, who I have a huge affection for, who is my number two character. I love Guy Gardner. Now, I understand they're from the same world, but Guy Gardner became totally different. He got a yellow ring. He started wearing a dope, generic 90s leather jacket with a G on it. Kind of standard, but it really like spoke to me. And what was dope about the Guy Gardner series and the redesign on that was quintessential 90s leather jacket, like big hair, leather jacket. That's usually what it is. Guy Gardner didn't have big hair. That aside, though, was the third issue of the Guy Gardner solo series. There was no I think there was one word and it was next. That was like the very last word. The whole thing is him fighting aliens on a planet. I feel like in D.C. and with redesigns, you have to kind of take like risks like that. You've taken an entire issue where you have literally one word. You might call it lazy as 90s kids all we cared about was the art so it was just like oh great 21 pages of art i love it
0: yeah so just a side note real quick and whether or not you keep this or not totally your decision but i read a book earlier because i was like i'm gonna read a book and i read x-men's mojo mayhem and uh man I, the writing was terrible. I'm just going to say it. (laughs) There was a lot of weird writing. And I was like, did I even read these words when I was a kid? Or did I just.
1: Mojo became like a joke because of the cartoon. Totally. Like my homie and I were talking about spawn the other day and I opened up some spawn books for this episode. And when I was going through them, I was like, I literally don't remember this story at all. I have no idea what's going on. Like I remember Sam and Twitch. I remember some of it, but like, it was so over my head. I just like the big, pretty images.
0: I'll say this uh there's an image in a spawn book i don't know which book it is it's sam was it sam and twitch his other names mm-hmm. uh where in is, is sam the sam's the fat guy right i don't remember which is okay let's say sam's the fat I, guy. i, I, no, is, I believe it, sam is a, a fat tiny guy. and it's attending twitch is like a tiny like his scrawny's you know. got glasses yeah 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 so there's one where sam is literally taking a shit and eating a sandwich at the same time i'd never seen that idea or concept actually uh like Realized in any you know fashion before, and so when I saw really connected image, with that I was one, made like, in my memory. I'm like, the as idea you is- were eating
1: a sandwich, reading this comic on the the toilet, you were yeah, like, hey, we this really do. speaks to me.
0: That, that honestly, is a very disturbing image. The idea of someone ingesting while removing product at the same time from their body was like, that is fucking. Uh,
1: I mean, like, and that's crazy imagery that's 90s right like there was a a spawn issue that had a bunch to do with a bunch of popsicles stuck in him i'd never seen something like that it was just so over the top but it was so artist driven that that was kind of what was dope about is it was pushing us so who's another character that you like the redesign for the 90s
0: well before we move on to my character i want to chime in my thoughts on green lantern because he did make my list i'm not going to include him in my five because you used him but uh I, for me, it's Hal Jordan. I mean, Hal Jordan all day. I know you're saying that it came in with the '90s and his comic was kind of boring, but I was looking at my box man. I got like the whole 50. I got yeah. like one through 50. I think I'm, you know, maybe missing a few episodes or issues. Was this
1: this the '90s Green Lantern? This
0: is the '90s Green Lantern. I think it was written
1: by Ron Mars.
0: Uh, I'm. It says Broderick and Nelson are the names on the okay. cover. Jones is, I think, is the writer. Jones? I don't really know. G Jones. Um. Oh, JG Jones. Yeah. And it's just one of those books where, you know, on the grand scheme of 90s storytelling, one of the reasons I'll I'll, I'll tip my hat to DC is the fact that, you know, for that 50 issues, you're kind of getting a good chapter on on Hal Jordan that comes to a terrible close, where everyone he knows and loves is basically eviscerated. It's one of the only really beneficial things that comes out of the whole Death of Superman, you know, Reign of Superman storyline is that it kind of like, Closes the door on Hal Jordan, creates Parallax, and then creates Kyle Rayner. So huge changing of the guard in an epic storytelling that is one of my favorite books um, or stories of the nineties. I'm but- actually
1: glad, I'm actually glad that you brought up the Reign of Superman because that's my number two is Superman. Now <laughs> I know <laughs> Superman. It seems obvious, but Superman went through a lot of shit in the nineties. Man, he was like kind of he was like standard Superman. And then he died because the image got so big. So then he died. And then he came back to life. We had the reign of the Superman with the four different Supermen. And then he turned blue. And then he turned red. And then I think one of the most underrated things about Superman, because you got to add this in, is Kingdom Come. He was a part of Kingdom Come. He was super dope in Kingdom Come. Like Superman had a hell of a lot of stuff going on in the 90s. And when I was thinking about my favorite characters, I give them props for trying. And that's why it's one of my favorites. Is there was a they were just trying stuff. It was just so crazy. Like we just gotta sell issues,
0: ah, turn him blue, and give him electric powers. Oh, dope! I love it. Blue, forgot about it. Okay, so but hot take though. Tell me that before death of Superman, you have those books. Were you collecting Superman up until so, he died? Because I was looking at the covers before we started this, man, and they were. That is a very forgettable. Like, well, okay, I time.
1: I take back part of that because personal favorite artist of mine, which I know is of yours as well, is Tom Grumman. Oh, and yeah. to me, Tom Grumman is like the quintessential Superman artist. I know some people like Dan Jurgens because he he did the whole Death of Superman, all that stuff. I prefer uh, Tom Grummett. You like Grummett, yeah?
0: Yeah, Grummett's oh. great. He did he did Robin and Superboy. He was very reliable. Totally. He was the, the Begley of DC.
1: So he did Adventures of Superman before Death of Superman. So he was on it for a little bit before the Death of Superman. So I just happened to be picking those books up because of the fact that yeah his you talk about covers his superman looked like superman to me and then also i feel like one of the differences between you and i when we were growing up is you had a little more access to comic shops whereas i got most of my comics because my dad bought them like off a rack at this little liquor store that was down in art street so i got like lame comics like adventures of superboy terrible daredevil and flash issues that nobody ever read that weren't good back then that said it kind of like made me appreciate when i got to read these books you know
0: yeah, it's definitely funny. Like as I was, as we were preparing for this meeting or this conversation, I went through all these covers because I worked at a comic book store. A little brief introduction about what I did. My first job as a as an adult boy was working in a comic store. I started sleeving bags and boards um, for just for trade.
1: You worked for trade. I remember that.
0: Yeah, I worked for trade, and then I worked in the store. Uh, the guy who sold the store and is no longer peddling comic books. Uh, he didn't want to like hire me on as a full time employee, so he just paid me like. Less than minimum wage to run his store, and I was like, I think I was fourteen or fifteen um, before. But I he gave an you office.
1: stacks of comics because we just talked yeah. about Green Lantern. Yeah. I remember so, you coming home one day and being like, "Hey, Shane gave me these seventy old Green Lantern comics because he wanted me to work today." I was like, "That's sick."
0: Yeah, he basically would say, you know, you get X amount of trade in the store, or I'll pay you in X amount of cash. But I would always use it for trade. So, you know, he would basically say, if you want to pick up anything from the the quarter bin or the like dime bin, which is like this bin of old comics because now we're in the nineties we're you know, at that time it was the nineties. No one was really cared that much about seventies. At, at all. And those were stuff that like, you know, listening to Rob Liefeld, I'm like, I didn't pour over those books because they weren't on the top of the shelves. They were deep in these catalogs. And you were the one who turned me on to some of these plot lines. And so I was grabbing all these old books that are now, you know, being sold. So what was dope about
1: Green Lantern at that time and you working at the comic store was I was into Green Lantern because of the costume and a few of the storylines. But you started getting into the old stuff and introduced me to stuff like Mogo, the planet that's a Green Lantern, and just these really wild ideas. And you being excited about it got me more excited about it and wanted to learn more. And like the history of Green Lantern is so large. And I feel like in the 90s, they really refined it. and They really did some interesting stuff. But those books that you were reading, were those from the 80s or were those from the 90s?
0: Uh, I mean, the I started reading Green Lantern and I, and I picked up some of those earlier books because as we mentioned in the beginning, like, I got a grab bag of books when I first started reading comic books. It was like 50 50 comic books from Sears and War... Like, it was from the Sears and Roebuck magazine. They... You know, I opened it for Christmas. It was a bunch of random books. There was a couple DCs in there. There were some Marvels in there. And I know Green Lantern is one of the DC books. I was really drawn into the, you know, the X-Men in those Marvel plot lines. But I did see Green Lanterns, and I did kind of like that title. I liked the concept. But you got me into it way more by kind of revealing the larger storyline that I wasn't aware of because... Yeah, I'm also I... super
1: biased because he is my favorite character. Let's be honest.
0: Okay. That's fair. That's um,
1: fair. But uh, so who else you got on your list on? Huh?
0: So you're, you're keeping it very uh, DC oriented. So I got to rep people who I think uh, are just kick ass. And the one who stood out to me that I was thinking about was a uh, Archangel. Arc- like very Archangel. Very
1: 90s. Very 90s. Totally. Very
0: 90s character. Technically a re- rebrand or redesign. Cause obviously angel is from the sixties, but you know, they do this whole introduction of the apocalypse storyline
1: And his costume was sharp yeah, with the blue skin and the purple, like little the piping that was a little bit pink and stuff like that. Very nice.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I love the idea that he basically like his wings molt. He doesn't know what he's going to do. And then he becomes the fourth horseman of the apocalypse. He becomes death you know, he uses these blades that come out of his, 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 yeah, he was just an awesome character. And even as you continue throughout the 90s, he continues to kind of evolve and mature and he has a relationship with Betsy Braddock and he gets his wings back and he still has blue skin. I mean, he goes through it all, but I felt like he was a standard in the 90s.
1: Yeah. That's a great one. That's a great one. Um, My next one is super basic and it's Spider-Man look spider-man had when i look through my comics when i start going through all this stuff like by far from the 90s i have the most spider-man and spider-man the 90s was dope it had the dopest artists i mean it had mcfarlane and had uh, eric larson other artists too as well as like brett booth and things like that and then like really what spider-man had was spider-man had venom venom was like argue to me, I understand there's more important, more well-written storylines, but to me, the most important storyline that I can think of in my youth is the Venom storylines multiple because they were all so dope and the art was so dope to go along with it.
0: Big time. dude. It's in my notes, black costume, Spidey venom, the whole thing, like from all the way back to secret wars till you first see Venom on the page. And obviously, you know, we talk about, you know, we talk about like runs or, you know, if we haven't mentioned runs, I'm going to mention them now, which is, I didn't really think about that in terms of what that meant until we started listening to that podcast. And one of the things I realized in the podcast is it's like, there are two there are two comics I want to talk about a lot today. One, I want to talk about amazing Spider-Man because it's a phenomenal freaking comic book. As I was going upstairs, I think I have an entire long box. That's just Spider-Man. So Spider-Man in the nineties holds a huge place in my heart, especially when you think about the fact that it's like, you know, it has runs of some of the biggest artists that would leave to go to do image. Like, I mean, you've got mcfarland you've got Larson, you've got these runs of artists. And then after Larson, which I think I was looking at it, and it's like Larson ends his run at like 350, 352 is his last run. And then from there, Bagley carries it. No, 351, I think, is when Bagley picks it up. And I love Mark Bagley. Bagley Be- picks that thing up for 50 issues. And after two issues, he starts going bi weekly. <sighs>
1: So rugged was Eric Larson doing the layouts. I thought there was a lot of like crossover by those guys.
0: Uh, I don't know. I mean, I was just looking at covers of books, but it's like after fifty, Larson, I presume, went to go do Image because it was really like hard time.
1: I'd like to add to everyone that's listening. I understand that the McFarlane Amazing Spider Mans were in the late eighties. I understand Venom was invented in the late eighties, and so I think when you talk about McFarlane Spider Man, I know he took over the actual Spider Man book, but that's when Eric Larson jumped on Amazing, and that's when you got the most fun. Venom books. Now I know the the best Venom books were McFarlane in the '80s. I understand that, but the most fun Venom books were the Eric Larson stuff. And then Eric Larson started getting into the Revenge of the Sinister Six and the Return of the Sinister Six. Super dope. So much fun.
0: Yeah, and I mean, you know, obviously McFarlane had two runs, right? He had the little run that he did up until I think what is it, 300? Might have been his last one. And then he's whatever, right around 300, it switches over to Bagley. But then, you know, no,
1: it's, so Spider, he did it from t- 298 through, I believe, 317,
0: 320, yeah. something like that. Because I know so- I have the Venom cover. I think it's 317. Um, but then he goes to go do the, the regular Spider-Man book, which when we get into books, we're going to talk about Spider-Man and X-Men. But obviously, like they both did runs on both v- different titles. Um, but yeah, I think Amazing, Spider-Man in the 90s, totally agree. He's not going to be on my list, but he's on yours and I, I celebrate it. Um, next on my list. Uh, I would be so remiss if I didn't mention my DC character that needs to be acknowledged, which is Tim Drake Robin.
1: No, oh, you love Tim Drake. You always love Tim Drake. I love man. Tim
0: Drake, man. The third iteration of Robin started in a series is called Batman Year Three, when it kind of does this introduction of a, a, a spectator to the uh, the death of Dick Grayson's family. And the spectator is this other kid who's younger in age who basically you come to find out has his own series of tragedy with his parents and ends up in the kind of care of Batman and up, takes up the mantle of Robin, which is after the death of Jason Todd several years afterwards. And he becomes this very nineties version of Robin. You know, he's got this perfectly quaffed hair. That's like, you know, spiky nineties, whatever.
1: The slightly redone R with the sharp
0: sharp line on the end of the R. His his armor his his costume has more armor factor to it. He's more of a detective. He's not a hothead. He's got full pants and leggings. He's not a child anymore. Like he is the true protege of Batman. And yeah, I mean he's still around today. He's obviously gone through lots of iterations. I don't read as many comic books today, but I That's still That's the
1: nineties as a whole, right though? Everyone started wearing pants. Like That's what happened good. to the, the the no more young boys running around in short shorts. Everyone's yeah. wearing pants.
0: Yeah, it's very it's very appropriate. But his introduction was was a was a game changer for me. I, I really liked him. He was probably my first character of DC that I really latched onto because from there I would go into lots of other DC titles. And Just, by far
1: the best Robin. Like Death Dick Grayson turned into Nightwing all, everything turned cool, but like Tim Drake was like is the I think he's still Robin to this day, right?
0: I think he has resumed the mantle, but I know, you know, if we were talking to Steve, Steve would probably chime in and say Damian Wayne is like the best Robin because he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. but like, oh, that kid's a super and he's a pain. I mean, you know, Tim Drake all day long. He rules. Yeah, I love it. All right. Uh, how about you? Give, give my, me your nick. So,
1: so this is where like we transition a little bit. So while I was a youth and mostly into superhero books and things like that, Late in high school, I kind of got out of comics a little bit and right as we had just graduated from high school in 99, we were right at the end of the 90s and our local comic book store owner that you had worked for, he, I was like, Hey man, I'm kind of like looking for something. I haven't read anything in a while. And he's like, here, try this book and gave me Preacher. And so my next character is Jesse, Jesse from Preacher. It's so obvious because he's the main character, but Preacher, man, it's like, it was just this honest story of just this imperfect guy. And what was so dope about Wolverine back in the day was he was imperfect, but slowly over time he became perfect. He's like the most noble, honorable guy of all time. Even Frank Castle to an example like a Punisher. He's like this super noble guy. Jesse is he has the things that he believes in, and that's where his nobility ends. Uh, Preacher, the basic storyline is this Reverend is in the middle of nowhere, middle of nowhere, Texas. He's an alcoholic, hates his life. This big thunderbolt comes down from the sky and it turns out to be this this presence from heaven that is more powerful than God. And it's basically a demon and an angel get together, have sex, have a kid, and this thing is born. And it turns out to be more powerful than God. So God is afraid because this thing is wild. God ditches out. This thing strikes down. The power of this child goes into Jesse Custer. And then the rest of the story, the entire storyline is Jesse is hunting for God. But what this thing gives to him is it gives him this power called the power of God, which is he can speak and make anyone do anything he wants. That's really his only power, aside from He's just a classic Texas boy, totally American, going down the street, punching dudes in the face, getting hammered, making bad decisions. And that's what I liked about him, was he was making bad decisions, but they weren't justified. He knew they were bad decisions when he was making them, but like he just didn't care.
0: All right. Okay. I don't actually think I knew that. Uh, I mean, I, I knew part of that intro. I just didn't know that he was... yeah. I watched a couple seasons of the show and then I kind of stopped the show.
1: Honestly, the show as a huge preacher fan, I was very into it and progressively just the comic, the thing about the comic that's so special is the, it's very hardcore. I mean, it's written by Garth Ennis.
0: I have to say, I didn't read the preacher book. Uh, it was one of those books. I remember the covers. One thing that I think is really funny being that I worked at a comic book store. I can remember a lot of these covers just because they were on the shelves. They were part of my periphery for hours and hours of time. And I just didn't read them. Um, but I did watch the show, and it was—it's a cool concept. I mean, I know that was a Vertigo book, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, I like where you're going. I'm going to keep with that energy because I want to go off of the big brands and go to a smaller one that was a little bit of an offshoot. One of my favorite characters in the '90s. And for those of oh, you who are familiar,
1: fully... nobody here knows Hentai. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. Go did ahead.
0: I, did Hentai exist in the '90s? Probably. I'm sure it did. Anyway, Exo uh, Manowar. Exo Manowar. Exo Manowar. Joker <laughs>
1: covers. That's all I remember. Yeah.
0: Uh, it was a uh, Valiant comic character, and the idea basically is there's this alien race of, I, I don't know, monsters. And these monsters basically had this little seed, and if the seed was placed on a person, it grew into this like techno-organic suit of armor. And that armor basically was like intuitive, sentient, and incredibly powerful. And in some ways, you can think, oh, it's a lot like Iron Man, but it was totally different. And it introduced me to Barry Windsor Smith as an artist, um, just very interesting, different storyline from that, that I was getting from Marvel and DC, the Valiant comic books had a number of different characters, Bloodshot, Ninjak, other ones that I would find somewhat enjoyable, but Man War was really original and cool. And that was one of those books, you know, I picked up the newer rendition or the newer edition of it a couple years ago, just cause I was very interested into it, um, but yeah. That's
1: a really interesting choice because all I remember from Exo Man of War is the Joe Quesada cover on number one. That's like really all I remember. I mean, I have that issue, but it was like the sickest cover. And then you got inside and I was like, oh.
0: Yeah, I remember that cover. Joe Quesada's work with some of the covers on Valiant was amazing.
1: Let's just say, these are, what's your last one?
0: I, if it's my last one, it's got to go to my original comic book crush who made her way, slithered into my heart in the 90s, and has has held residence ever since, which would be rogue oh really rogue, rogue rogue was a character who was introduced earlier she was a I think, villain villain in the 70s or 80s uh avengers annual number 12 i believe might be 10 avengers annual 10 um and she's introduced as a villain she's introduced as a thief who works with the i forget their name they're a evil villain organization uh, brotherhood
1: a, of evil mutants
0: yes the brotherhood of evil mutants um and I Within that storyline, she ends up taking Marvel Captain Marvel's powers. She zaps her clean and she becomes, you know, invulnerable and in the ability to fly, but she still has her ability to zap mutant powers. Um, my hope beyond hope is if there's a Captain Marvel 2 movie that she is the primary villain, because mm-hmm. it is the best segue into why Rogue is badass. And I hope that that's the villain.
1: It's rumored. that's really interesting i i don't know if marvel would actually do that but it actually gives you a great because then you could take captain marvel's powers away then you have an entire movie of her regaining her powers and then at the end she gets her powers back because that's what you want to see right you always want to see your hero without powers and they have to regain them
0: yeah well of that in the comic books she doesn't get her powers back so spoiler alert on that regard <laughs> in the 90s you go through a very various different artists, and we'll talk a little bit about the storylines that take place in Uncanny X-Men, but you've got this weird dark storyline. You've got Mark Silvestri as an artist. She's kind of got this like 80s glam hair and this like wing shoulder pad costume. And then Jim Lee enters the scene and he's like, right. Listen, we need to make this lady amazing. We're gonna make her hair curly. We're gonna stop doing this like crazy, like 80s rock star hair. She needs, you know,
1: I, I don't like the tank top. She needs to put on a dope vest or something
0: oh yeah she freaking puts on this like leather jacket she's got like she just goes from zero to sexy in like you know a few issues and then a little later down the line you got savage land rogue where she's rocking like a ripped bikini and hanging out with magneto who is one of the people vying for her love and affection uh well she i mean
1: that's really what you said right there right which is that Jim Lee made her into that thing because Jim Lee's style, all the stuff that he drew really became a part of the cartoon. I feel like the cartoon really established what 90s X-Men canon was all about. Even yeah. though there was all those comics going on, like we all we all gravitated towards the cartoon, even though it was basic and stuff like that. But like Rogue was a huge character in the cartoon. She was a huge yeah. character in all that stuff. And like you said, once Jim Lee got his hands on her, it really got dope.
0: Yeah, she's amazing. I mean, I would say the same for Psylocke. But I think we've gone, I've I've given my five, but like, you know, literally like as I was thinking about characters that I wanted to say on this list, so it could have been any X-Men. It could have been so many characters in the X-Men universe because I feel like 90s Marvel had that shit in the bag. Like they just had these dope characters. I mean, you got Gambit, who's one of my favorite characters. I was going to say, this is all
1: our personal favorite, but like Gambit is for sure. If you're just saying the top, if you're being really generic, Gambit is for sure one of the top five characters of the 90s. Dope design, interesting, the way that he could be written, cool power, the love interest with, with Rogue that was always drama, but it was still kind of interesting. Well, I think this is I think this is a thing of beauty because you just mentioned a 90s X-Men character, so I'm gonna mention a 90s X-Men character, which is Bishop. I thought Ooh. Bishop was so cool because that was another one of those comics that I got off the rack. And as a preface, I was never a big X-Men fan, a little too dramatic for me. Cool characters and all that stuff, loved all the art, but the stories were just a little just a little too politic and toxic and I have no problem with that, and it's very popular, and it's super awesome, and I get why it's awesome now as an adult. As a kid, it didn't really speak to me. But Bishop, in particular, I got his first like issue to where his – his style was cool. His whole design was cool. There was a lot of characters that were introduced in the X-Men world in the nineties. And he in particular is one of them that stands out to me. I liked that he was from this future and he came back and didn't know how to act a little bit of fish out of water. And he had this really cool power, you know, taking kinetic energy and being able to like return that. And how much can he absorb? How much of a battery is it? So you can explore those things. Sure. He had nineties mullet. I get that. But like, if you're talking design and all the things that go along with it, just a, brilliant costume really a brilliant costume and a great character
0: yeah. will sportachio created bishop right is he the one i want to
1: say yes i believe yeah. you're correct
0: and i mean it was phenomenal design and one i could literally have a 90s conversation specifically alone on the term kinetic energy in Marvel <laughs> because it's one of those words that they use it's like it's quasi science but it's enough to convince you that it's like,
1: g- generic enough to where you can be like yeah. any power
0: there's so many characters that's like what's your power it's like uh, I'm Gambit. I store inanimate objects with kinetic energy. I'm Strong Guy. What's my power? I absorb kinetic energy.
1: <laughs> it's like oh, Strong Guy does... had kinetic energy, huh?
0: Yeah, it was like their go-to word. It was awesome. But uh, no, and my number five—I mean, my honorable mention on this, related to Bishop, perfect segue—is Cable. I mean, props to props for props are due with uh, Mister Rob Liefeld. Cable was a great character, but the second chapter of Cable, which kind of comes later in the '90s, is this idea of Cable being kind of thrown into this universe with his powers nerfed. For anybody who knows the Marvel meta, it's basically Cable is poisoned by this techno-organic virus, half of his body is metal. And that virus is slowly spreading and will take over his whole body. When the Age of Apocalypse storyline comes into play, which is why we're going to segue next into top books of the 90s, you get this idea in an alternate world of what if Nate Gray, which is Cable didn't have his powers hindered by a virus and you get the unfiltered pure son of two powerful mutants and he had his own comic book it's crazy he was you know he was brought into the I'm Marvel- talking
1: just the cable solo series?
0: I'm talking about Nate Grey.
1: All right, X-Man.
0: Mutant X or yeah, no, yeah, it was X-Man. X-Man, you are. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, and he's got the little wisp of white hair, but I mean he becomes a super level ninja. So uh, he's one of those characters that was introduced in the 90s. He had one iteration. He goes through a rebirth in the later 90s.
1: So wait, which do you... Are you more into the Cable or are you more into the X-Man? Because it really is like a redesign. It's like you asked me about Hal Jordan That's versus true, Kyle Rayner. Like, you have to uh, choose one or the other.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm going to go X-Man, to be honest. I really yeah, I like love the yeah. idea.
1: Go ahead. Cables, <laughs> what's dope about Cable is the one of those things kind of like, which is another dope thing about life, is it's like how his characters became fleshed out later. Like Deadpool was not the merc with the mouth at the beginning. Yeah. Cable was, you know, cool at the beginning, but as they got, became fleshed out and they started to become real characters in this universe, um, they get their voice and Cable always had a voice. You know, he was always very like, he was kind of military man. And he was going to do this thing no matter what. Um, his style was always like really over the top, but that's quintessential nineties. That's, that's dope. You know, I look back at those stuff and I look at those cable books and like, I have this one cable book that's drawn by uh, John I have this JR. It's John Romita, Jr. John, John Romita, Jr. And like, about, it, is just, it is just a crazy cover with all these lines and all this stuff going on, huge shoulder pads. But that's when you started to realize, like, people could take this and have fun with it. And you could really, like, blow it up. And you could just hold, tell about this whole future world that he was a part of, tell about the world he's a part of now. If he went back to the future, there were so many options with
0: cable. And wasn't that the reason for Bishop's arrival? Wasn't he there to kind of, like, grab Cable? I forget his intro, but I felt like he was there because Cable was jumping timelines, and Bishop was like, I'm here to hunt down the freaking
1: This is one of the things i found about a lot of these 90s comics is I just, you know, like so many kids, I just read it for the art, man. Like, I really <laughs> vaguely remember all these stories. It's the, it's the bummer of it, is when I read these stories, You know, I take it back. It's not a bummer, but it's kind of nice now because when I read the stuff, it's through fresh eyes. Like when I was breaking out these Image Comics, I was reading Brigade and stuff like that. They're books that I've read a thousand times. And like, I don't remember these stories at all. They're kind of dope. You know, these are these really big ideas, alien races invading, and we have to fight back. But I kind of like that, you know, it was still the end of that bad guy, good guy. Fight, fight, fight. In 2000 and after the 90s, it really started to become... This is not a... After after 99 and really when the ultimate books began, characters got to come more into like the real world and what it would be like in the real world. Yeah. What happened in that was while that was dope, it changed comics to where they weren't fun anymore. They still have fun moments and there's cool stuff. But like 99, it's almost like this line in the sand where you can see where like fun comics of good guy versus bad guy ended. And it became more of like, well, there's gray to everything, which is fine. But sometimes I just want to watch the Fantastic Four fight Dr. Doom, you know?
0: Well, it's funny you bring that up, because it was like, I mean, obviously, they they took, they had much more serious storylines in the early 2000s. Uh, Consequence was a much bigger deal. Yeah, and it's funny, like, the draw to books, because one of the things that I thought was, was funny is, like, you know, as we talk about books of that time and their impact they had on us and what we liked and didn't like, I remember picking up, more, like, Fantastic Four books. And, you know, when most people think about Fantastic Four, they think about them as, like, this awesome family of four superpowered people but it's like my memories of fantastic four is like they're struggling with debt they're always like about to get kicked out of their house like (laughs) like, such a bummer of a story yeah it was always like there was something wrong
1: the 90s was when they turned uh invisible woman kind of into a hoe right she went from like full suit wearing pants unlike robin to where they were like "Eh, let's take the pants off of her put her in like a mini skirt yeah
0: they 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 put her into like a, a straight up like I don't know. It, it looked like a rock star outfit. It looked like something that would be worn by like Whitney Houston or like Madonna or somebody. It was just you know, it had areas of the costume that were removed to expose skin. I mean, yeah, sex sells. That it was, was the, the ni- hey,
1: bro. It was the nineties. I mean, yeah. you had lady. You had to compete with Lady Death. You had to compete with Don. You had to compete with Vamprella. You had to yeah. compete with the Gen Thirteen books. You gotta yeah. got a sex up Invisible Woman, man.
0: So with <laughs> all that competition in the marketplace, Sean, you got to decide which books you're gonna get. What were your top titles of the 90s? Uh,
1: it's a good question. There's, there's, I mean, there's quite a few. There's obvious ones, like we've already mentioned, Green Lantern, spider mans all those. Uh, there were really some special storylines, in particular the Revenge of the Sinister Six. That was a big one for me, Eric Larson, Spider-Man. Um, but my favorite and like the most important when I look back on, it was probably Kingdom Come. Because Kingdom Come was kind of where comics started to become a little more adult. I was a teenager. And so a little backstory. I grew up in this area called Rough and Ready literally middle of nowhere California rough and ready and I would go out every Saturday and I would mow lawns on this huge property for my buddy's dad and I saved up money for four weekends in a row to buy kingdom come because it had been out for a while and basically wizard had come out and wizard had done this whole expose on and a breakdown of all the hidden stuff within and it really got my creativity going I lived in the middle of nowhere I read the same stuff over and over read this wizard over and over so as I'm mowing lawns in my mind, I'm visualizing what this comic is going to be and, and what I, I like literally can't wait. And then I get my hands on it and I read it and I read it through one time and I, I got most of the ideas. I was a teenager, but like I got to the end and I was like, that was everything I hoped it would be. And like, how often do you get a comic where it's everything you hoped it would be? That's and like, true. literally I thought about it for so long and then I read it and I was like, it, it was dope. And then I've read it so many times since then. Just The gist was that it's the future and all the main superheroes have retired and there's a new generation of superheroes who don't really take into consideration things like laws and valuing people's lives. And a bunch of humans get killed. A bomb gets set off in Kansas kills a bunch of people, and in turn, Superman comes out of retirement. When Superman comes out of retirement, he brings in all the old guard who build this big prison and basically imprison all the new generation of quote-unquote heroes. The gulag. The gulag, yes, and eventually the the gulag gets way too overblown, blows up, turns into this huge battle of old versus new, but the fun of it is you had the old guard, which was led by Superman and Wonder Woman, and you had the new guard that was actually led by like a brainwashed Shazam you had a third element coming into it, was which was Batman and all these robots and everything like that. And it was just beautiful. It kind of has that Lord of the Rings feel where it's like, you know, multiple armies kind of all coming from different angles. Two might unite for a second, then they'll fight against the other one after that. But beautiful artwork, really deep storylines, absolutely like amazing hidden things throughout. Like I still to this day look at Raggedy Andy in that book every single time. the cover of ELO's greatest hits is subtly in there is like green lantern's fortress up in space like it's just so well done it really is like it's kind of that pinnacle achievement of someone alex ross went off to do amazing things and some would argue that the work after that got a lot better i don't know man earth x was not as good it wasn't as good but he was only really doing covers and writing it but it's like kingdom come is his kill bill Kingdom Come is his Abbey Road. Like, it's the pinnacle of being an artist. It's a pinnacle of an art, great artist being great.
0: God, that, that book was so good. Isn't it, like, isn't the narrator of that book like an old guy, like Norman yeah. or some shit? Yeah, just as it's a human, starts seeing all these things.
1: He's seeing the future of what's about to happen. The Spectre is showing it to him.
0: And this is how Spectre... Jordan
1: Spectre, or a regular Spectre? This is just the Spectre. I, uh, wow. this is, I think the original Spectre is who this is. And... Uh, yeah, Spectre's oh, leading it through. the, the fuck's a regular? He he also had the
0: wisp, right? What was his name? God damn it! Yeah.
1: He had uh, in this comic, which was dope, is like they always drew little skulls in his eyes, and he was totally naked all the time. Had to get some specter ass in there. What about you, Tom?
0: You know, uh, y- you you kind of glazed over it, but I mean, I definitely want to give props or props or do. and I feel like the uncanny X Men run of the '90s was the one Jim of Lee my curse Cu- paramount stuff. You know, it goes through a gamut of them. I mean, depending on where you want to start, you know, there's the Inferno storyline, and I was trying to remember, maybe you know the answer to this, but there's this whole, they go to Australia, you know? And they go to Australia, they're trying to lay low because something happened. I don't know if this is before or after they did supposedly to, died. Did they go to they, Australia
1: or the Savage Land?
0: Uh, I thought they went to Australia okay. first. Um, you could be right. I'm right. Because Again, I think that's big, where they I meet guy. Gateway, right? Because Gateway's from Australia.
1: Uh, I love Gateway. I know. Sorry, go on. Uh,
0: and so one of the things you know, during that time, you get a number of artists like Sylvester coming on the scene. You get you know some art Adam's Jim Lee, book. obviously Will 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 Alan Silvestri. You got some some sporadic Rob Liefeld covers. Adam Gilbert,
1: I believe, was in there. Uh,
0: yeah, I think he might have done a run, or he might have done some of the later one.
1: stuff. One yeah. one of the cuba brothers for sure did. John Romita Jr. For definitely sure. did
0: for sure. Uh, John Romita comes in later, but yes, he definitely Joe did. Joe Madureira did. did. Yeah,
1: I mean, X Men was... had X Men had the artists. Let's be real; that's what it was all sure. about the X Men.
0: And it just you know in the '90s, it went through this storyline where you've got the introduction of like you got Mister Sinister, you've got Dark Phoenix, you've got Madeline Pryor. Actually, I don't know if it's Dark Phoenix, but you get Madeline Pryor, which is the Goblin Queen. Um, you know, then you get this like brood storyline where you've got these aliens that take over the superheroes. And then you get like, you know, the Shiar and just crazy. And Bishop,
1: Bishop comes into it. Yeah. This like is that all, all starts to happen.
0: Yeah. You get Shadow King, you get Bishop, you get Cable. You get this whole storyline, you know. And I think one of the storylines that I was going to, that I wanted to talk to you about, not one of my favorite ones, but do you remember Executioner's song? Do you remember uh, the storyline? It had a
1: lot of crazy covers. That's all it I did. remember. It
0: was one of those many. One of those multi title crossovers. And I think the gist of it was it was this whole imposter murder thing. It's like cable killed Professor X and it's like this who done it thing, and you realize cable point cable killed shot a bullet and injured, you know, mortally injured Charles Xavier, and everyone's like wanting to put him on trial. And then as the story unfolds, I believe you learned that Strife, which is a clone of Fable, mm-hmm. committed this act and did this whole elaborate ruse to basically, you know, implicate him um it was a very 90s storyline maybe a little later at some point let's just riff on the the gimmicks they used in the 90s to get us to spend more money because they enclosed packaging with a card inside like buy this but don't read it because you want to keep it sealed and in the card and you're like fuck
1: you man I it made you it buy the more than one. That's, that was yeah. the brilliance right that was like the um oh, the
0: worst x force the, the, the
1: image zero book was you had to buy all the first image books you cut out a little thing you sent it in you got image zero Or you just went down to the comic store and bought it for 20 bucks, which is what I did.
0: Well, I think that about wraps up part one of our episode on 90s comics.
1: Um, Yeah, Tom. And, you know, I wanted to say something. Look, we did our homework for this episode, but we're talking about a decade of comics. So a lot of this was off the top of our head. Just our memories and things like that. Mine is THC Stain. His is alcohol stain? There's a chance we made a couple of mistakes. Like, with us. we're having a good time, all right?
0: And we did have a good time. You can follow us on Twitter at C-O-T-T Cast. Join us next week when we will continue the conversation and discuss our favorite single issues, favorite storylines, and some rapid-fire topics. Thanks for joining us at Cards on the Table. spoon up, now. Just a finger now, I got I
1: wish you would've did that two years ago.